a brief word of prayer. Uh, just dear Heavenly Father, um, we just, uh, I thank you for preparing our hearts. We just yield our hearts to you. Um, Lord, I just pray that in any way that you have already been speaking uh, to our hearts, Lord, that uh, despite the din of, uh, of a hectic and confusing life, uh, despite all the things that would pull at our thoughts and our emotions and so forth, I pray, Lord, that during worship, uh, during prayer, during a word of exhortation or encouragement, and uh, also, Lord, during this message, um, uh, for those who are still struggling in that area, Lord, I pray that the inner storms, uh, the noise, all that quiets down and that we're able to hear the still small voice of the Lord. That I pray that uh, as you've been speaking to us, Lord, we're sensitive to your, uh, to your voice, Lord, and uh, that we acknowledge uh, your voice and that we respond accordingly. So speak to us, Lord, and uh, uh, convict us where necessary, Lord, and lead us, Lord, into all your truth, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So um, I'm going to ask you guys to uh, open your Bibles to the book of Luke, chapter 24, is where we're going to start. We're going to go through um, a number of short passages here today, Um, and I'm going to talk on the subject of repentance today, and so... Don't everybody all get excited at once? Uh, I know how y'all have probably been looking forward uh, to something along these lines. And so God has answered your prayer. But, but the message title is simply called to repentance. And uh, I know oftentimes we have a very good understanding of and we're excited about that call to repentance to the sinner who doesn't know Christ, but we are called to repentance as believers in our walk in Christ as well. And it's important that we understand the uh, critically important nature of that, that we should, you know, we should be mindful of our own need to repentance, not to regain the salvation that we've already gotten, but so to maintain our, a, a good relationship, that we walk in right fellowship with the Lord, right? He, when he raises awareness of sin in our lives, what do we do with that, right? Um, what does he want us to do, right? He wants us to repent of it and walk with him uh, in obedience to that truth, all right? So, Uh, I don't want to get ahead of myself, so we're going to read verses 44 to 49 is where I'll start, and then I'll read a few verses, uh, Acts chapter 3, and then we'll talk about what repentance looks like, and uh, and we'll move forward. Starting at the 44th verse, then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. 
And he said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And, this is where it gets today's message, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So, it mentions forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, but not just the forgiveness of sins, repentance also. See, you can't have forgiveness of sins without repentance. And we all love John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, to whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And if we don't look at it in light of the full context of scripture, it would give the impression that all I've got to do is believe, and I'm good. But faith in Christ comes with repentance included. One, you cannot have one without the other, and it be biblical repentance. The salvation of the Lord requires repentance and faith. Don't shout me down. Right? Repentance and faith. That's how we come into the that's how we come into a saving knowledge. That's how we come into relationship with Christ. We having been made aware of the truth of God's word. We repent. We'll get into the meaning of repent. We repent and we believe. Uh, This is what Jesus said to his disciples after he had resurrected, but before he went to be seated at the right hand of the Father. Let's go to Acts chapter 3, verses 18 to 21, and we'll see what, what the apostles said. And it says, But what, he's talking to the crowd here, explaining to them about what scripture says about the Christ and Jesus fulfilling that scripture and himself being the Christ. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he, Jesus, thus fulfilled. And what does it say? Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. And so now they are talking to those who are not yet believers and and I'm speaking to uh, at least what predominantly here is believers, but I'm doing this for a reason, you know. So whether you are an unbeliever, okay, you need to repent and turn away from that worldly life, from a life of bondage to sin. You need to, real, you know, you need to say, I'm repenting from that, and I am fully embracing Jesus. I'm forsaking my own way, and I'm embracing the way of the Lord, right? I mentioned last week, I'm not just in it for fire insurance. I'm changing the direction of my life. I'm ceding lordship of my life to Jesus and and declaring him to be the Lord of my life. 
Are you hearing me? So what is, you know, what does it mean? What is biblical repentance? You know, it's a really, uh, I'm going to use a threefold thing here. It's an acknowledgement of my sin. That's one phase. An acknowledgement of my sin with a godly grief over my sin that yields a commitment to turn away from that sin and to be obedient to God. So an acknowledgement of my sin with a godly grief or another translation say godly sorrow over my sin that yields a commitment to turn away, to turn, to change, to align with God's word and with God's will. And I'll get into that a little bit more as we get into a verse we're going to spend a little bit more time in today. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. For those of you who have your Bibles, uh, turn to that 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and we'll start in the 6th verse. Paul is a spiritual leader, pastoral heart, spiritual father to the Corinthian church. That he started. And he had a fatherly heart toward them. And he didn't just he didn't just say sweet and nice things to them, but he challenged them in the areas of sin. And he said some, what could be viewed as some harsh things. But how many of you know that sometimes it's more loving to tell a hard truth? Well, it's really, forget sometimes. It's more loving to tell a hard truth, right, than to keep the truth to yourself to spare somebody's feelings. Right? It's, it's the, the loving thing, even though you know it's going to hurt, the one you love, to hear that hard truth. Because we love them, we need to give that hard truth and let them process through it so that, so that the work, the good work that God begun in them can be completed, right? And so it's, it's never the wrong thing to do to speak the truth. We just need to speak the truth in love, right? So here we go, verse 6. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you. As he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced still more. And here we go. For even if I made you grieve with my letter. He said some hard things to them. But there were some hard things that needed to be said. Because he wants Christ formed in them. He wants them to grow in the Lord. He knows the destructive nature of sin, right? And he wants them to not give in to it. He wants them to be 
free. He wants them to live free in the truth of God's word. So he gets into this. He cares about them. Even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it. But he says, though I did regret it, I did regret it for a little while. For I saw that the letter grieved you. But that regret only lasted a little while. Because he cared for him, it it grieved his heart that what he said grieved them. And for a moment, because he loved them, he regretted it. But that only lasted for a little while. And it goes into verse 9. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. And we ought to, you know, we ought to underline that. We ought to, I, 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 I would hope that you guys would, would really uh, spend some time in that, in that chapter and in that passage and, and uh, allow the Lord to really uh, speak to you in that. But he says, my, I rejoice in, not in that you were grieving, but that you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief so that you suffer no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. There is a different grieving. There's a worldly grief and there's a godly grief. And there's been times in my life that that sin has had a hold on my life. And that may be someone here today where, you know what, you do this thing over and over and over again. And we run to 1 John 1, 9. Lord, I feel so bad about this. I feel so bad. I feel so bad. Why, you know, uh, uh, I won't do it again. I won't do it again. I won't do it again. And then what usually happens? We do it again. And we wonder why. Why can't I get Why can't I overcome this? Why can't I gain victory in this area of my life? And I think a lot of times we have a grief, but it's not necessarily a godly grief. A godly grief that produces repentance. Really, if we're struggling there, we haven't repented yet. I didn't hear an amen, but it's true, right? And, and what's needed is a godly grief that leads to repentance. See, a lot of times there's this mistaken impression that because we feel bad about something, we have a repentant heart. But that's not biblical repentance. I can feel bad about something. I can feel bad about whenever I'm triggered, I light into somebody and I might say some things that a godly person shouldn't say. And I might feel bad afterwards, but when I'm triggered again, I'm going to do it again. I haven't repented from that. Feeling bad in and of itself is not repentance. It's just feeling bad. And you know what? That feeling will subside. And when that feeling subsides, you know, you don't really feel the weight of that sin anymore, and we move on. We, 
what we spend time on is going to God's word so that we might feel better. I don't want to feel bad about this anymore. God, you know, you know my struggles. And I'm coming to you, Lord, and I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm only human. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. You know me, Lord. I'm not perfect. Yeah, he knows all that, right? He knows all of that. But he also knows the destructive nature of sin in our lives and that he loves us so much that he hates sin in our lives and he wants us to be rid of it. And he does not want us to be slaves to it. And so he, through Christ, death and resurrection, Christ has given us the ability to walk in freedom from sin. We, we are no longer bound to it. And we've got to learn to walk in the freedom that Christ has given us. Right? And an important part of being able to do that is understanding the call to repentance. Now, I'm speaking to probably some issues in here that some of us are dealing with. And there may be repetitive sin in your life. And, and you, this scenario that I, that I spoke about, you may be in that cycle of a sin that you just cannot get, get past or get free of. And I'm hoping that in some way this is going, uh, this is going, to, going to help you. Because our, I don't want anybody to feel like I'm preaching at them. So I try to, I try to be as uh, balanced in that as I can. But like I said, feeling bad about it, being sorry, sorry about it, it's a good start, but it's not in and of itself repentance. At some point, that grief has to be based in something. It said a godly grief. You know, what is the target? What is the objective of godly grief? Well, to me, that's rooted in God, our relationship with God. Am I sorry about it because of how the other person feels about it? Am I sorry because I got caught? Am I sorry because I'm feeling the consequences of the actions? That's not godly sorrow. The sorrow becomes in that, you know what? I grieve the spirit of God. I'm in covenant relationship with God, the God who created me, the God who sent his only begotten son to pay my sin debt on the cross. He loved me. He did that while I was yet still a sinner. Right? This God is committed to me, is devoted to me. This God has given everything so that we might be in right fellowship. And this sin in my life is interfering with that. It's grieving his heart and it's interfering with us being in right relationship. I don't want to grieve the heart of God. I don't want to be saddled with sin that Jesus died to liberate me from. And he's my master, not sin. Right? And so I want to be in right relationship with God. You know, notice I didn't say relationship with him because salvation 
comes by grace through faith. You can't earn your way in it. This is not about salvation, whether or not you're really saved. This is about your walk with God. And if you're walking with God in his truth, you're walking with him in the light, you are growing in your relationship with the Lord. He wants us to grow in our relationship with him. He wants Jesus formed in us. He wants us to mature and be more of a reflection of Christ Jesus as we continue in our walk with him. There is no stagnancy in the Lord. You're either growing or you're backsliding, right? So we want to continue to grow in Christ. And uh, I, I feel led to talk about this today because sin is obviously a hindrance in that. Are you hearing me? And so we said, I said repentance, acknowledgement of sin with a godly grief over that sin that yields a commitment to turn away from that sin. And you're able to do it in the name of Christ by the power of the spirit of the living God. I said earlier that we first John 1 9 and I've used that verse so many times it's comical but I don't want to lessen uh, its significance uh, based on what I said earlier he says if we confess our sins he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and we need to be honest with ourselves right uh, we, not, we don't need to make allowances or make excuses when someone tells you that you've wronged them. If someone tells you something that makes it obvious that you did not live up to the biblical standard in your conduct toward that person, right? We don't need to be justifying and defending ourselves because that is, in a sense, saying, I have no sin here, right? And right after 1 John 1, 9 is 1 John 1, 10, where it says, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Right? Let's not defend ourselves in a way that acts as though, or in a way that projects God as a liar. None of us would say God is a liar. But a lot of times that's what we're saying when we're confronted with our sin and we don't respond to it. In humility, agree with God's word that what we did is sin. And have a godly sorrow over it that leads us to repent of that sin. Are you hearing me? And so it's not just confession. You know, Christy and I watch a lot of Perry Mason. And at some point, Perry Mason is going to get somebody. He's going to break him down. And they're just going to confess on the stand, I did it. Right? Me confessing that I did something. Right? But with no changed heart, it's not much of a confession, is it? If I keep intentionally offending Christy or doing something that actually communicates something other than love, but I keep saying, yeah, I know I did that. I love you. I confess, I admit that I did it. But if I'm not sorry about it, if I don't then repent of it, 
then I'm, am I really loving her? No. Confession is, biblical confession, biblical repentance involves more than just feeling bad about things and, 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 and admitting things. When we're confessing, we are agreeing with what God's word says about our behavior. God called it sin. I agree that it's sin. I agree that I'm in violation of God's word of truth. And therefore, I have sinned against God and I've sinned against this person. I've got to make it right. So that confession is agreeing with what God's word says, God's perspective, God's view, not the world's view. We can explain away anything. We can justify whatever we want to justify. Yeah, I did that, but if you hadn't done that, I wouldn't have done this. Yeah, I was mean to you, but if you hadn't said what you said, I wouldn't have been mean to you. So in a sense, it's really your problem, your your fault, sweetheart. But I forgive you. (laughs) Right? We'll flip it, and we'll make ourselves the offended party, right? And... And, and I don't want to belittle what happens to you, but but my girls will tell you much to their frustration whenever they brought, whenever I got on to one of them because I observed uh, ungodly behavior in response to one of their sisters. They would say, but dad, she did X, Y, or Z. And what would I tell you? Yes. And I would tell her, you know what? I will talk to her about what she did, but right now I just want to talk to you about what you did. Right? Because what she did doesn't justify you disobeying God's word. Let, let, let's get that straight. Because, uh, because God's word is absolute. It is truth. And are we committed to walking in obedience to his word or not? Are we committed to the covenant we have with God or not? Even when people offend us, right? Even when people do things that, that they really want, it really riles our flesh up and we want to give them a piece of our mind. Is that, does, does, does scripture allow for that? See, a lot of times we say, okay, God, I'm going to ask for forgiveness right now because I'm about to give this person, you know, <laughs> what I believe they deserve. I'll repent afterwards, Right? So we've already committed to an ungodly act, and we're gonna, we, you know, we're gonna pre-order our request for forgiveness from God. Steamroll right over the one another's of Scripture and what God, you know, the fact that we are representatives of the Lord in this earth, and that it's important for us to respond in a way that's consistent with the character of Christ. That's in obedience to God's word. And we give ourselves pass. And usually we give ourselves a pass in this area when it involves conflict with someone else. We don't look at our sin as sin. We look at it as a just response to what that evil person did to me. And I'm telling you, in our walk with the Lord, we cannot give ourselves a pass that way. It's not about, it's not as much about what that person did. It, it, it's about, you know, your commitment. 
your commitment to God, your, your commitment to obeying him and, 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 and walking with him even in the hard places of life. As much as I hate what that person said and what that person said made me feel, I love him more. I love God too much. I am filled with gratitude and appreciate too much what he did on the cross for me, for me to give way to the flesh here and let that be an excuse in my mind to walk in disobedience of what I know his word says. Are you, are you hearing that? And that's, really, and that's really what we're doing, and God wants us to stop that. He wants us to have an attitude of repentance. And if we, we're not perfect, right, we're going to do that. We're, we're, we're going to come up short sometimes. But what I'm saying, when we do, let's own it. When we do, let's agree with God's word. What I did was sin. I'm going to name that sin. I'm going to agree with God's viewpoint, God's perspective about it. I'm going to agree with that. I'm going to admit it. And, 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 and I'm not just going to be sorry. You know, I'm going to uh, uh, ask your forgiveness. If I've offended you, I'm going to do it the biblical way. And I'm going to be so grieved over that sin before God that I've sinned against God that, that I'm going to partner with him and his desire to change me. I'm committed to turning about face. That's what that word repent means. It's a, it's a change in direction. I'm going to turn my back on this sin and turn my face to God. Right? And that's what he wants us to do. It, and it's the lack of that commitment a lot of times. We're not, you know, we're not turning our back on that sin. Right? We're not acknowledging it for what it is and turning our back on it. So while we feel sorry, right, the lack of turning away from it doesn't, doesn't separate us from it. And that's why we end up leading to have to, it leads us into, I'm still confessing it. I'm still not free. I'm still struggling here. I'm still struggling here because we have not repented. So confession, like I said, is agreeing with God, agreeing with God's perspective about my behavior. If God views it as sin, then true confession agrees that it is sin. And I'm going to ask you back there, uh, I hope y'all noticed, I'll, typically I use the ESV version. Uh, we're still in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Uh, the first 10 verses I did in the ESV, but Verses 11 to 13, I did in the Amplified. So if you're displaying those here, we're going to read on. Verse 10 said, godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. And these next three verses are really going to uh, outline the, the benefits of true confession and repentance. 
what it yields in our lives. And this is what Paul is commending the Corinthian church for. I like the way the Amplified really amplifies it. Verse 11, for you can look back and see what an earnestness and authentic concern this godly sorrow has produced in you. What vindication of yourselves against charges that you tolerate sin. What indignation at sin. What fear of offending God. What longing for righteousness and justice. What passion to do what is right. What readiness to punish those who sin and those who tolerate sin. At every point, you have proved yourselves to be innocent in the matter. You know, they had all kinds of sin going on in the Corinthian church. Um, you know, uh, people, uh, Paul had to turn people over to, to the devil so they might, you know, to consequences of their sins that they might learn not to sin. You know, you had loved ones hooking up with loved, you know, they had family members hooking up with family member spouses and all kinds of things, but they loved Jesus. And he was like, you can't. You can't let that kind of stuff go. You've got to deal with this. And, 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 and so they dealt with these things. And they took what Paul said in that, in that letter where he challenged them on these things. And they considered those hard truths. They processed them. And they, they went into action. They took action. And the action that they took, Paul commends them as giving evidence of how much they cared for him and how much they respected his uh, spiritual authority in the Lord. And, uh, and it says, at every point, you proved yourself to be innocent in the matter. You acted. So even though I wrote to you as I did, it was not for the sake of the offender nor for the sake of the one offended, but in order to make evident to you before God how earnestly you do care for us and your willingness to accept our authority. It is for this reason that we are comforted and encouraged. And in addition to our comfort, we were especially delighted at the joy of Titus because you have refreshed his spirit. You know, I'm looking at this. All this stuff that the godly sorrow produced. They wanted to be right with God. They wanted to honor God, right? They took in the word that they got from, from Paul and the other spiritual leaders, and it, it, it meant something to them, right? And when they were told that there's things out of order before God, they took action to bring those things in order because they wanted to maintain right relationship with God. And it produced real results in their lives. They were vindicated against charges that they were sin-tolerant. You know, if we don't do anything, 
if we explain away our, our sin, then we're tolerating it. Let's not be tolerant um, of the sin in our own lives. Let's respond. Let's answer the call of God to repentance. And not just view it as something that the unbelieving unbelievers in the world need to repent and come, for, come to God. Yes, they do, right? But the believers, those of us who walk with God, need to constantly be in repentance as well. We're called to. The same repentance that's required in order for us to get saved is the same repentance that's required in, in our maturing in our faith walk with the Lord. I'll finish with just a couple of uh, one-verse scriptures. Uh, James 4, verse 8 says this, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. And a lot of people probably steamroll right past that scripture, but, but to me, it says a whole lot. Uh, that one verse is power packed there because in light of a topic of repentance here, the call to repentance, it really uh, pops for me. So draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. What I mentioned earlier um, about We're as wrong as sin. We've offended someone through some sinful actions. And yet, despite what scripture says, we'll defend ourselves. We're double-minded. We say we love God's word. We say God's word is truth. We say we're committed to him. But when we're called on something or when something's brought to our attention, we want to defend our actions. We're being double-minded. And God wants to purify our hearts there. And confession and repentance is what's needed so that we can actually be single-minded in our focus and our commitment to God's word. We don't want to give the flesh any place at all. And the problem, I believe, in those situations is that we also don't want to give the other person a pass at all. We want to make sure. If they own their part, and if, and, and if they don't own their part, then why should I? Right? It becomes a battle between us and them. Right? But that's not the good fight of faith. Right? We're, we're, we're fighting the wrong fight at that point. The battle is not between flesh and blood. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. Right? There is an enemy who knows our triggers. There is an enemy who knows our scars. There is an enemy who knows how to trip us up. And if we've shown a susceptibility, right, to slip into the flesh and be disobedient to God when we're challenged in certain ways, guess what he's going to continue to attack us with? The thing that causes us to slip up. And so it doesn't matter as much who 
the vessel is that comes and challenges us that way. What matters is the fact that this is an area that we need to surrender to God. We need to get right before God so, so that the Christ in us, the hope of glory, is what's coming out when we're tested this way. And not the flesh man. We need to show evidence that, that, that the old has gone. In Christ, I am a new creation. The thing that used to bind me up, the thing that, 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 I was, that I was chained to, the thing that had control over my life, the power of God's salvation has freed, liberated me from the bondage of that thing. So much so that those things that used to wreck my day or wreck my life, now I walk on those. Now I walk over it in Jesus' name. Because it doesn't have a hold on my life anymore. Just like the Lord drowned Pharaoh's army in the Red Sea, the thing that had, had a hold of my life is dead to me. God has drowned it in the, in the Red Sea. And it, and it will no longer have any dominion over me. So if we draw near to God, how do we draw near to God? We need to draw near to God. How we respond to the sin in our lives speaks to our willingness to draw near to him. It's not just running to him when we're offended or when life gets hard. Yes, it's not hard for us to do that. But we also need to run to him when we've wronged others. Not, not, not so we can make ourselves feel bad, feel better because we feel bad about it. But I'm running to God with the same heart or a similar heart that David had in Psalm 51, right? And he's going before God and he's acknowledging his sin. He's, Lord, purge me with hyssop that I might be clean. Wash me that I might be whiter than snow. Against you, you only have I sinned and done evil in your sight. He fully owns it. And it grieves him that he sinned against and grieved God. And he's going, he's running to God, confessing his sin. The, you know, repentance, Zacchaeus. Tax collector. Got wealthy out of uh, cheating people out of their money. Jesus didn't even have to preach a sermon on dishonest gain. He heard Jesus' words. He saw how he loved on people and healed people and the and and, and delivered them from demonic possession and, and opened blinded eyes. And he did all these wonderful things. And all the while, God is tugging at his heart. And he's wondering, even someone like me? Is there hope for me? And that heart changed. He changed his life. Jesus knew it. 
And Jesus acknowledged him in the crowd. He's up there in the tree because he wants to see this, this man of God. And he says, hey, come on down from there. Today I'm going to dine in your house. And he tells Jesus, he's like, you know, he shows evidence of a repentant heart. He said, you know what? Money doesn't mean, mean what it used to mean to me. You know, I grieve because of what I've done to all these people. And without Jesus even asking him, he said, anybody who I have messed over financially, I'm going to repay them four times what I got from them. I'm going to make it right. I want to be right with God. I want to undo the effects of my actions. I, I, I can't undo my actions, but where I can make it right, I'm going to commit to doing it right. I want to do the God-honoring thing. That's confession. That's a godly sorrow or a godly grief that leads to a right confession and repentance. I don't know how many times, you know, Zacchaeus has been used in reference to repentance, but that's really, that's really what it was. Peter, the Lord told him in the garden, you're going to deny me three times, and he did. When the rooster crowed that next morning, it hit him, and he was overcome with grief. Because he said, these others might leave you and abandon you, but I will never abandon you. I'll die for you. And he said, dude, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. But Jesus met him again before he went to be seated at the right hand of the Father. And y'all know the story. Peter, do you love me? Feed my lambs. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. And he tells him something about his future that, that really speaks to the fact that he's going to be martyred in the Lord. And there was real godly sorrow in Peter. And Peter was a changed man. He became the man that he thought himself to be before Jesus told him that he was going to deny him three times. He became the man that without regard for his own life, he was going to speak the truth of God's word. He was going to do, go where God told him to go, do what God told him to say, and whatever consequences might result from that, he was okay, even if it meant his own death. There was a change. So I don't want you to fight the wrong fight. I want you to do what Paul told Timothy when he said, fight the good fight, the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. 
If Jesus has a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every tongue shall bow, every knee shall bow and every tongue confesses, then we ought to act like it. Right? If when I gave my life to Christ and I was baptized and I was immersed in that water and what baptism symbolizes that when I went down in that water, the old me died. And when I came back up, I came back up in newness of life. It reflects that in Christ, I am not what I used to be. I am no longer this, this man that is a man or woman who is in bondage to sin and death. I, I have surrendered my life to my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who conquered death and sin through the cross. So I'm not just a sinner saved by grace. I am a child of God in whom dwells the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Are you hearing me? I didn't hear enough amens on that. You're not just a sinner saved by grace. You are a new creation. Christ is in you, the hope of glory. Right? And so, again, if we just continue to look at ourselves as a sinner saved by grace, what we're still saying is, I'm still a sinner. That's still my identity. No, it ain't. If that's how you feel, I'm challenging you in that. You're not just a sinner saved by grace because you're not just a sinner anymore. You don't have to sin. You're free from its, from its bonds. You might sin, but it's not because sin is your taskmaster anymore. You got a new master. One who saved you to the utmost. Right? Salvation is a complete work. I appreciate the attempt at humility, but we want to be humble according to truth. Right? You're not just a sinner saved by grace. You were one. But now you're a child of God, free from the bondage of sin. You now have the ability to choose whether to yield your members or your body to sin or to yield it to righteousness. But your identity is in Christ. Are you hearing me? And it's time to fight the good fight. We made a good confession. And that confession was rooted in God's word. It's out of the truth of God's word. Let our confession continue to be word-based, word of truth. Not out of our feelings. Not according to the world's perspective, but God's perspective. If he calls it sin, it's sin. Okay, that's no self-condemnation here. What do I do with this? That is in obedience and in accordance with God's word. God has called you to repent where necessary. He's calling you, when we confess, he's calling you to agree 
with him about your behavior. However he views it, you confess that that is the way it is. That is what it is because God says that's what it is. And he wants you to acknowledge your sin before him. Have a godly grief or sorrow over it that produces a change. God's calling you to that. He's calling me to that. And we need to call one another to that. Be subject to one another. Love me enough that if you see me out of line, I don't care if it's to, you know, whether it's to my wife or whoever it is, if you see me, you know, display unbiblical, ungodly behavior, love me enough to come to me. Now, don't come to me with an attitude, but love me enough to at least attempt to elevate the good, to, to help encourage me to the standard of God's word. Right? I am subjecting myself to you in this because it's that, it's that important and I believe in leading from the front. <laughs> right? So scripture says we should be subject to one another. Well, let's be subject to one another. Help me in my walk with the Lord. I'll help you with your walk in the Lord. Let's elevate the word of truth. Let's elevate God's way above the world's way and above the way our flesh wants to go, right? So that he might be exalted in our hearts, exalted in our midst and glorified, right? That's, that's, that's really loving one another, not being like, well, you know, um, wow, that's pretty jacked up over there, but I don't want to get involved or, you know, uh, the way he's treating his wife or the way that, the, you know, uh, this, this relationship between these two members of our church, we just need to leave it alone. Um, I'll pray for him. No, I, I, I believe that we, in order for us to grow, we're going to have to be willing to answer the call to repentance and we're going to have to be willing to respond well when out of love, other brothers and sisters in Christ attempt to elevate us to the standard of God's word of truth. That may be tough for you. If that's, you know, if it is, then I hope you hear my heart in challenging you to really give that to God and, and to surrender to him there, right? Um, you may not like people, you know, lovingly confronting you that way but I would say humble yourself before God um, and give people space to love you well by speaking the truth in love it, it could it could go sideways and uh, if it goes sideways I'm here for you we'll see what we can do to work it out the elders are here for you uh, you can you know what what does scripture say when, when another uh, a person has ought against you, right? They, you're in disagreement with somebody. Um, what's the first step scripture says for you to, for you to do in an effort to uh, 
resolve the differences. Louder? Hmm? Attempt to go make it right with that person, right? So you want to go to that person and see if you can't work it out between the two of you. Okay, if you can't do that, what does Scripture say? Oh, there's a step before that. Hmm? All right. You go, you know, invite another brother or sister into it, a mediator, someone who might be able to help you guys bridge the gap, the difference there. Right? And if you bring that other person in and there's still, you know, no, 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 no progress toward a resolution, then what you said, brother, you bring them before the church leadership and see if the church leadership can't help resolve the issue. You know, the next question, and you don't have to answer, how, how, often, how often have we done that? It, it, I'm just going to ask you to answer this in your mind, uh, and I'll just go to this church. We're not going, we don't know what all, every other church does, but, but are, are we characterized by doing that? Uh, even here in our own church body, right? So, and in our homes, in our familial relationships, in our, in our relationships at work and school and all those other things, are we modeling what the Word of God says we ought to model in resolving differences with other people? Because if we're not, you know, instead of our gaze being on the faults of the other person, we need to turn that gaze inward and evaluate whether or not we are handling the situation in a way that's obedient to how God told us we ought to handle those situations. Are we reflecting him well and representing him well uh, in the various spheres of influence that we have? So um, just food for thought. I'm going to ask you guys to stand. And I know there are much more serious issues that I could have used as examples and whatnot, but, you know, I only use what was necessary to help make the point. Whether it be relationship conflicts, whether it be uh, addictive sinful behavior that uh, has been a destruction to your life, uh, that's been destructive, in your uh, marital relationships and, and in your family environment. You may be sorrowful. You know, if you reflect back on the seasons of life that you've gone through, and this persistent sin that you can't seem to be free of. The Bible says you ought to be able to have victory on it. Jesus overcame the world. This is the victory that overcame the world, even our faith. He tells you you should be able to walk in victory over this. And yet, you know, you still do it. You regret it. 
you know it's wrong and you go to God with it. And sometimes, you, you know, you even promise you'll never do it again. A promise you've made before. And yet, somewhere inside, you kind of suspect that despite the promise you'll never do it again, you, you're probably going to do it again. And I would challenge you, you know, just, I would ask you to just listen to me and just kind of, you know, just kind of close your eyes or do anything, just kind of be in your own thoughts as I'm talking. And say, Confession. is an important part that leads to repentance, but it is not in and of itself repentance. Feelings, feeling bad about it, feeling sorry about it, feeling guilty about it, is an important element that leads to repentance, but is not in and of itself repentance. Admitting that you've done wrong is not in and of itself repentance, but it is a needed element of repentance. So going forward, acknowledge. I want you to know, I want you to, I want you to practice real repentance. Answer the call of repentance for whatever the issue is in your life. If you have not yet seen real victory, the way of escape, the way to victory here involves what I'm talking about today. Don't justify. Don't engage in moral relativism. Don't justify your actions by the actions of others. Don't defend what is what should be indefensible according to God's biblical truth. Acknowledge what you did if it was disobedient to God's word, if it was not God-honoring, acknowledge it. Call it what God calls it. and have a godly grief, a godly sorrow that this sin cannot, cannot stay in my life because it grieves the heart of God. God does not want this sin in my life because he knows the destructive nature of it. He made me free of it. So I need to turn my back on it, turn away from it, and turn to God. Leave no connection. Leave no allowance for it. So agree with God, his perspective about it. Have a godly grief that leads to change, that leads to you turning your back on it and turning towards God. The devil will test you. 
It'll test your commitment. Did you really turn your back on it? Or do you still have one foot? Did you turn completely? Or are you still double-minded? You stay strong in your commitment. You stay resolved that I've turned my back on that. I'm committed to not grieving God here. I'm walking with God in obedience to him and his word of truth. I am walking with God in this and I'm committed. And when the devil tries to come your way, resist. Stand strong. You put on the whole armor of God and you stand strong. And scripture says that if resist, humble yourselves before God, resist the devil and he'll flee. He'll test you, but if you stand strong and resist and stay strong in God's word, stay committed to doing things God's way, you're going to honor God in that because you're devoted to it. Eventually the devil will see it and he will flee. heard a long time ago there's no testimony without the word test you're going to get tested but you stand strong in the Lord and in the power of his might and you will see the salvation of the Lord you will see the victory that he wins for you and the thing that has tripped you up over and over and over again will become a footnote in, the, in your testimony of the goodness of God in Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for how you're moving in people's lives. And, and, and Lord, I thank you that even now, um, you know, that hearts have been changed, Lord. Perspectives have been changed. People, uh, your people, all of us have been challenged afresh to commit to walking in your way, Lord, to learning what confession and repentance ought to look like and how to practice it and make it a a regular part of our own lives thank you for your patience with us Lord thank you for your grace thank you thank you for loving us when we even when we're not very lovable Thank you, Lord, that you have made us every day of our lives. We're your valentine. And I pray, Lord, that that is our attitude. Every day of our lives, you are our valentine. We're going to do what we do out of our love for you. And we love you, as the scripture says, we love you because you first loved us. May you be exalted and glorified in our lives, in us, and through us, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.